Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, and welcome to Grid Talk. Today, we have with us David Owens, who happens to be the chair of the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, TAC, or the Transformation Advisory Council. And as we're going to find out, um, he's overseeing and aware of everything that's happening to bring the grid back to where it needs to be in Puerto Rico. David also has been uh, executive vice president of the Edison Electric Institute, now retired. He served there 36 years. It's been my honor over at least the last 20 of those years to um, have interacted with David Heard him speak at conferences, invited him to speak at conferences I ran, been in private discussions we have had with electric executives. David, welcome. Well, thank you, Marty. I certainly do appreciate this opportunity. So the world knows that three years ago, Puerto Rico was devastated by Hurricane Maria. Um, It caused estimates of $94 billion of infrastructure damage including knocking out 25% of the transmission towers. Most of the people were without power for a considerable period of time, some up to a year. Now there's in place a a plan to upgrade the grid. And and, uh, I'm going to go over some of the high points that that I have gleaned from news accounts. Tell me where I'm wrong, if I'm wrong. But uh, about a year ago, PREPA announced a $20.3 billion grid plan that would include 1,400 megawatts of solar, 920 megawatts of battery storage, $6.5 billion for transmission, $5.7 billion for distribution, $3.9 billion for generation, $1.8 billion for automation and computer system upgrade, and $1.8 billion for microgrids. How am I doing? Is that about right? Well. Let me, if I could, just update the numbers a bit. So what you just cited from essentially was a plan that PREPA, which is the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, which currently now I'm the vice chair of that board. I moved from being chair of the Transformation Advisory Council uh, to now be on the board of PREPA. And the PREB, which is the regulator in Puerto Rico, uh, we were required to file what we call an integrated resource plan. Uh, the last plan that we filed was back in 2015. We did one in 2019 as well. Several months ago, the PREB issued its direction to PREPA. And in that direction, aside from the 1,400 megawatts of solar that's used it, they doubled it. They said by 2025, you need to have 3,600 megawatts solar energy on the system, 1,300 megawatts of battery uh, backup. And part of that dialogue and that input, particularly with respect to the grid, is for resiliency and reliability, we need to focus on building microgrids. And so move forward by building eight microgrids 
and those microgrids will have an essential source of supply, renewable technologies. Uh, and so that's kind of where we are now. Uh, it's a phase plan to begin to work aggressively to put in solar energy. And you know, too, that a grid for, for renewable technologies is a grid very distinctly different in many respects from a grid that's been built, built around central station facilities, which is traditionally how the Puerto Rico grid has evolved. It's centered around oil-fired facilities, baseload oil-fired facilities, baseload coal plants. Uh, and so it's a different type of a grid that has to be built to provide that level of resiliency and that level of visibility. So you have to move from the kind of grid that we have today to one that's more digitized, one that is uh, more decentralized from a general standpoint to build the resiliency, one that has stronger ties as well. So David, uh, do we have in Puerto Rico a test bed uh, that will enable you to, to, to deploy technologies that the entire industry has been talking about in the United States for years to take us to a place that nobody's been to before yeah that's right i think you know the the thing that's got me all excited about this this really is a coalescence of a lot of my experience over the years all the things that i've done in the mainland under the energy policy act of 92 of 2005 of the energy security act of 2007 it's a culmination of moving to a more decentralized system, but one, too, where you have a marketplace that's created, where there's greater transparency. I would parallel it a little bit to some recent decisions by the VERB, where you can now aggregate distributive resources and they can feed into a bulk power market. But you have to have a grid that's able to accommodate all of that. Right now, we don't. It was also decided in one of our major uh, pieces of law, uh, Act 17, that we should move to a concessionaire. We should have a third party, much like we did in LIPA, have a third party come in uh, that has expertise and rebuild the grid. Rebuild the grid so it's it's resilient, it's reliable, and, and it can withstand a Category 4 uh, storm. So that's what we're doing. Will this third party be independent of PURPA? Yes, the uh, third party is independent. In fact, yeah, I can tell you who it is. Uh, we went out, it took over a year, uh, and we had several different companies, mainland companies that apply uh, to be this concessionaire to rebuild back the grid better, to operate it, and to do the customer interfaces for storm restoration. So it was decided after a lengthy process, many detailed discussions, uh, three companies uh, formed a, a company called Luma, L-U-M-A, and those companies under Luma, this partnership includes ATCO, LTD, uh, we all know is a, is a global corporation that has tremendous expertise in electric transmission and distribution, and natural gas, T&D, uh, and Qantas Services, Inc. We know Qantas as well. Qantas is a Superb infrastructure provider, you know, they operate, maintain uh, systems throughout the world, uh, they, you know, $12 billion in revenues. And then the last one, Innovative Energy Management, Inc. Uh, and they have good uh, understanding of 
uh, Comprehensive Emergency Management and Disaster Recovery. So those three companies, ADCO, Quanta, and IEM, uh, all came together and formed a partnership called LUMA. LUMA won the, uh, the consideration to be the ones now, which we call the concessionaire. So LUMA is going to do what happened in LIPA. As you are aware, that in New York, we, you know, we had PSEG, we have other companies that were rebuilding the grid in New York, in Long Island. So we have the similar situation on the island of Puerto Rico, where the concessionaire, the concessionaire now uh, has been doing what we call a front end transition. They're carefully evaluating uh, the electric system. They're looking at the expertise that they need. It is a 15-year agreement. Luma will now be the uh, the T&D provider in Puerto Rico. The PREPA, which I'm a part of, will transition many of its responsibilities to the concessionaire. What we have done, this costs a lot of money. Uh, the numbers that you indicated are, as you can see, $20.3 billion is an awful lot of money. So from the storm from Irma and Maria for the last two years we have been appealing through FEMA to get that disaster recovery funding not that we build the system the way it was but we built the system much better so my understanding based on our previous conversation is they've allocated 10 and a half billion dollars that's right which represents the largest disaster relief grant by the federal government ever that's correct how did you get this and uh let, let me just contextualize it a bit. Um, our listeners may know or may not know that the poverty rate in Puerto Rico is fairly high. Estimates of as many as 43% of the residents on the island live in poverty compared to 13% in the United States. So the, your customers in Puerto Rico can't shoulder the majority of the cost of this. Is that correct? And, and how much will FEMA help address that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it gets even more complicated, as you know, Marty. We're bankrupt. Okay? So we have a restructuring support agreement, which is in process. It's in the courts to pay the bondholders a certain percentage of their investment. And so one of the things that could be a challenge in the agreement is the resolvement, resolving the, the RSA arrangement. Uh, that's very important. So there's di there's clear daylight because right now, obviously, we can't procure capital in competitive markets. So you want to kind of clarify. You want to bring some uh, certainty to those bondholders. You want to bring some certainty to PREPA. And so part of our certainty is getting the money from FEMA. So we have to file a 10-year plan with FEMA uh, by December the 19th. And that 10-year plan just doesn't deal with the T&D. It deals with some power supply. It deals with the dams that we have. It deals with a, a full infrastructure. Obviously, a lot of our attention will be focused on the T&D system. And that's very important because we need to bring jobs back to Puerto Rico. We need to, you know, Puerto Rico has a very robust pharmaceutical industry, but it could be even much stronger. And it could be much stronger if there were greater resilience, improvement, and reliability. So take a minute and tell us, with, with the solar that you outlined, um, 
that's going to be deployed and the microgrids that are going to be deployed. How will that look? Will it be urban? Will it be rural? And will you be training a workforce to deal with this? Yeah, it's going to be a mixture. Okay, so right now we have some rooftop solar. I'm, my numbers may be wrong, but it's in excess of 150 megawatts. We have some existing hydro facilities. We have some wind facilities that were severely damaged on the hurricanes. So if you aggregate the current renewable technologies that we have, solar, wind, hydro, oh, it's roughly close to 400 megawatts, I would say. Okay, now you are going to impose upon that a requirement that you have to have 3,600 megawatts of renewable energy uh, by 2025, and the bulk of which is solar. How does that compare with the total load? So if you look at our total load that we have, oh, I would say it would serve our total load, but we know it's an intermittent source. So it's really not very relevant about the load that it could serve. It's more relevant about the energy that would be provided. Uh, because of the diversity in the kinds of power supply that we have. We'll still need our base load, and we'll need our transition facilities, which are gas fire facilities, to serve a demand of over 2,000 megawatts. So, so will the bulk of this be rooftop? Will, no. Will you have uh, solar farms out in the countryside? Excellent question. So, no, the bulk will not be rooftop. I am a believer that you want to get the most efficient technology for the customer. And in my belief is that community-based solar, this is central solar, would give greater resiliency, better planning, and a lower cost to the customer. We are encouraging customers to put in rooftop solar. But the reality, what you just said, people are poor in Puerto Rico. And so not everybody will be able to afford, even with some assistance, putting in rooftop solar facilities. So what it suggests very strongly is to, if we're talking about microgrids, you're not going to build microgrids around rooftop solar. You're going to be build microgrids around community-based solar because that's how you're going to design your system. Your system will be able to accommodate the input from rooftop solar customers, and that's why you have to have smart distribution systems. So it can that feedback that you get, and you have to have streamlined interconnection rules uh, from the participation of the customer, it's important. But you also need to have some level of coordination. You need to have visibility so you can see what the customer is doing. Okay, uh, that's very, very important. You know, coordination, cooperation, and visibility. So, will the bulk of the microgrids be in San Juan? Will they be in, in villages? They're going to be located all across the island. Okay, which is very important. So you can hit the major load centers. So if you get a storm, we already know, too, that the storm that occurred with Irma and Maria, it knocked out San Juan, Puerto Rico. We had two major 230 kV ties that were disrupted, and it, it led to a recognition of the vulnerabilities of the system. And it underscored the significant importance of not just also diversifying and having a clean energy source, but also making sure that your grid, your distribution network, which is really obsolete, is stiffened. And if you've got a hurricane, a major storm, it doesn't knock out the entire island. 
So the microgrids will be throughout the entire island. So let me press that a little bit. Um, You know we're living in an era of climate change, and Maria is uh, believed to be um, a harbinger of more frequent, more violent storms that we're going to be coming through for years to come. Um, As you build out this $20 billion, $2 billion a year, let's say in a decade it's fully deployed and up and running, a Maria comes through. What's your vision of what happens in Puerto Rico? Will it be a few days outage? Um, how robust would it actually be at the end of the day? So we've had hurricanes and we've had earthquakes uh, since Maria. In fact, we have an earthquake. We have many earthquakes. Uh, and we have many storms, not to the magnitude of Maria or Irma. And we restored service very quickly. And we were able to restore service very quickly because we, what we did was we came up with an approach that would look at the, uh, look at the load that we are serving and prioritize that load in a way that we were able to do what I call uh, rotating blackouts, uh, where we were able to have portions of the island come back much quicker than other portions of the island. But we did not have an occasion, at least as long as I have been, well, we have not had the occasion, aside from Irma and Maria, where we've had customers without electricity for 30 days. In fact, we're, most of our outages that we've had have been substantially reduced. Uh, the, uh, the time for recovery has been substantially improved. But not only have we done that, we also have different call centers. We have different ways where we reach out to the customers in advance and make give them an indication of when we are able to restore service. It's not perfect. We still have uh, tremendous call waiting times, and we're reducing those significantly. But to your major question, uh, the system is not as resilient as I would like to see it because we need to improve the T&D system. But the way that we've uh, sectionalized uh, recovery has been very, very helpful, uh, and we've prioritized the loads. And we work with the industrial and commercial customers, many of which have their own power supply. So we try to integrate some of their sources with our sources, and we we talk with them regularly uh, that we can rely on them when we have – we synchronize. We're seeking to synchronize their sources with our sources so that the waiting times for getting service back is not as significant as it was in the past. So we substantially improved, but we got a lot of work to do. Uh, and the dollars that we get from FEMA uh, will help us to do what we call system remediation. That's what Luma has done. Luma has looked at the entire system, the entire D&D system, and identified vulnerabilities. And they found those vulnerabilities and said, we'll put priority around those vulnerabilities first. And that's incorporated in the 10-year plan that I spoke to, that it will have to be filed uh, with FEMA, as well as that 10-year plan has got to be consistent with the integrated resource plan approved by PREP. As you do this decade program, um, and and you're calling on vendors to submit um, bids for, to, for providing battery storage and solar units and generation T&D, computer systems and microgrids. Um, are you working with EPRI and uh, 
some cutting edge companies to develop new technologies to try to advance the ball from what's available right now? So Luma, who is the concessionaire, uh, is very embedded in working closely with Apri. Uh, and so they, they're very familiar with all the emerging technologies. In fact, they've used them and they're well known. I don't know to the degree to which they are working directly with that, but I know they're working with Apri. They're working with the industry through the with respect to storm recovery, the Electric Systems Coordination Committee, uh, which includes all the investor-owned utilities, includes some of the uh, public utilities as well, the large public power council and government agencies, which deal, they do their, as you know, such as NERC and so forth. They do their uh, pilots. They do testing of the system, you know, in different types of events. But more importantly, they will be guided by uh, Department of Energy, and a team that Department of Energy has, which includes all the labs on some of the best technologies. DOE has been very thoughtful in the Build Back Better study and in, in taking forward some very sophisticated ideas. So DOE will be intimately involved. They have a working team, which includes other agencies. HUD will be involved, DOE, DHS. A lot of agencies that will be looking at our 10-year plan and will be given feedback. We will be relying on the outstanding research that DOE has been doing through their labs. EPRI has been involved in a lot of that, too. Uh, so, yes, we will be relying on research agencies, labs, state-of-the-art technologies is what we intend to be employing in Puerto Rico. So, David, how aware is the U.S. utility industry today of what's being attempted in Puerto Rico? And what do you want your hundreds of friends across the industry to know? What few things do you think are the most important takeaways? Well, I think there's several important takeaways. I think that once the 10-year plan, this is the plan that envisions a much stronger and resilient electric system, once that 10-year plan is filed, and let me say, even before the 10-year plan is filed, we're going to do outreach. So I would estimate that our 10-year plan, the draft of the 10-year plan will be completed the week of December the 7th. So that gives us roughly two weeks to do outreach. That outreach will be with U.S. mainland utilities, will be with the various government agencies, will be with the oversight committees in Congress, uh, so that they are not surprised by what we file. And we'll reach out to the municipalities in Puerto Rico to get buy-in. Part of the challenge we have is we just had a gubernatorial election, and you really want to work with the new governor have the governor feel comfortable with what we're doing, because this is really about the future of Puerto Rico. This is about bringing jobs back to Puerto Rico, enhancing economic development, reestablishing businesses in Puerto Rico, getting Puerto Rico at a point now where it, you know, once the RSA is, is addressed, getting it back to the point where it can procure capital in a competitive market, attracting citizens who left the island because of better opportunities in the mainland, attracting them back. Uh, back. So the, the bottom line, I would say, is wait for the 10-year plan. Then you're going to see a lot of press and you'll see a lot of outreach coming from Puerto Rico. But if we can demonstrate that the $10.5 billion that have been firmly committed to us is well spent. And obviously, we will work with U.S. Util mainland utilities. As you know, I know the industry extremely well because I was at EEI for many years. Uh, and so I will be one of those ambassadors 
to testify, to to talk to companies. We will rely on. I know many of. I know what many of the companies are doing. I know many of the companies who are doing modernizing their grid, and we'll be relying on some of those companies because they're good test cases for us. And I'll be part of that outreach. David, we know you're a young man, and uh, <laughs> I wish I were. <laughs> but. You've stepped down, uh, what was it, in 2017 from EEI after 36 years? That's correct. What do you feel about this project you're undertaking? Is, is this a capstone in your career? Is, how do you feel about this? And uh, You know, that's a very interesting question. So, you know, I've always been guided by my faith and my commitment to give back because I think I've been very blessed in my career to have the opportunities that not many African-American males have. And so... When I pray, I ask the Lord, why do you have me in Puerto Rico? And this is true. I always get an answer back. You know, you can feel a spirit, and it says, you will find out. So, you know, a lot of people say, why are you in Puerto Rico? You should be vacationing. You should be doing that. You're in Puerto Rico working, man. What's wrong with you? It's called giving back. It's called making a positive difference in people's lives. So. Puerto Rico is a culmination of every single thing I've done in my career. The new regulatory rules that have to evolve. There's an electric system that's got to be redesigned and got to be rebuilt. There's tremendous outreach. There's cybersecurity issues, which are very significant. There's storm restoration recovery issues, which also have to be addressed. The new technology, such as solar, which could be a renaissance technology to uh, to bring clean energy. I'm a strong advocate of clean energy and renewables. So that's why I'm doing it, because it's a culmination of everything I've done in my career. It's all the expertise, all the things that I've learned, all the relationships that I've developed. But most importantly, I'm giving back. And that's what I'm about. Thank you, David. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Grid Talk. Thanks to David Owens for sharing his insights about these important developments in Puerto Rico and changes coming there and to the electric industry. You have been listening to Grid Talk. Please send us your feedback or questions at gridtalk at nrel.gov. We encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite platform. And for more information about this series, subscribe and visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.